Hello and welcome to the Unlearning Podcast, a show about unlearning self-limiting beliefs, coping with anxiety, and healing through self-love. I'm Jenna Slaughter, self-love coach, recovered people pleaser, and mental health enthusiast. And every other week, I'm going to bring you a topic or guest that is going to help you reshape how you experience the world, unlearn the ways you've been playing small, and send love to the places that need it the most. Are you ready? Let's get into it. Really, I'm sending so much love to you right now. As you are listening to this, I am sending it to you. Today, we're going to be talking about negative self-talk. We're going to be talking about the four types of negative self-talk, what's going on in the brain and a couple of the little pieces that have some big roles to play as far as our emotions and our trauma is concerned. We're going to talk about why it's so pervasive in society. And then lastly, as always, the antidote. How do we unlearn? Are you ready? Let's go. Let's just start with a definition, shall we? Basically, negative self-talk is any inner dialogue that you have with yourself that may be limiting your ability to believe in yourself or your own abilities or to reach your potential. It's any thought that diminishes your ability to make positive changes in your life or your confidence in yourself to do so. There are four different types of these little buggers, and we're going to get into them here shortly. The four types are filtering, personalizing, catastrophizing, which was one of my personal favorites, and polarizing, which was also one of my personal favorites. Let's start with filtering. Filtering is where you magnify the negative aspects of a situation while filtering out the positive ones. It's like having a great day at work where you got a lot of work done ahead of time, but the commute home was filled with traffic. And that's really all that you focus on is that traffic piece. And then it's ruining your night because it was so stressful on the way home. That's a form of filtering. Now, personalizing. Personalizing is when something bad happens and you automatically blame yourself. Like if you were late to work because there was an accident on the road, but you blame yourself because there were really two ways to go and you should have gone the other way. Like somehow this is your fault. Sound familiar? I can also note that this personalization can be highly, highly conditioned. If you were a child that grew up in a home where you typically were blamed for other people's other people's feelings, or you were dealt the responsibility of regulating yourself in a certain way to appease somebody else's feelings, this could be a response that resonates with you. Next is catastrophizing. This was a personal favorite of mine that I've really worked to unlearn. Sometimes it still sneaks in in some really high stress situations, but this was a favorite of mine where I would have a couple bad seconds or minutes, moments in my day, and it'd be like, oh, it's just a bad day. That's catastrophizing. Or for example, assuming a place is going to be like so full for lunch and lunch is going to take so long and you're not going to have time and you haven't even made the call or driven by. That's a form of catastrophizing. Lastly, we have polarizing. 
Polarizing is where you see things as either just good or bad. There's really not much middle ground. It's rooted, under-rooted with a lot of judgment. So if you haven't listened to the self-judgment episode, go hit that. An example of this that I, I have come up with in my life quite a few times is the idea that you have to either be perfect or you are somehow a total failure. It's really doesn't allow any room for nuance or being multifaceted. And I hate to tell you, my friends, but we live in a very multifaceted, complex and nuanced world. It's incompatible with this polarizing mindset. So what's coming up for you? I encourage you to check in. Take a moment and see examples of ways that this is coming up for you in your life. Do you rely more on personalizing, catastrophizing, polarizing, maybe? Maybe you're just really good at filtering. Take a note, send me a DM, and let me know what you came up with. What what comes up for you? And the point here is not to become aware of this so you can judge yourself for having this negative self-talk, but it is to empower you to have a little bit of a flag system because we are choosing to unsubscribe from these four modes of speaking to ourselves. So when we see it come up, we can hit a little flag and in our heads we can say, what is what is coming up for me right now? What is the need underneath this? What is this belief driving that's trying to keep me safe? Which brings me to the next piece, actually, of this episode, which is about what's going on in the brain during this time. Okay, so my my science degree might come out a little bit here, but I'm hoping to make this as understandable and as micro as what you need to be able to understand that you are not broken. You just have some like sprinter fast neurological pathways that are trying to keep you really safe. Okay. Let's set the stage here. Behind your forehead, you have the prefrontal cortex. It's a little deep in there. It's called your thinky brain. Okay. Your limbic system, which is also in your brain, is the feely brain. Okay. We've got the thinky brain. We've got the feely brain. Most of what we know about trauma affecting the brain is due to research actually about the amygdala, which is a part of the feely brain. Okay. Its job is just to make sure that you don't forget things that are very important. Okay. Remembering things that are good, that are really important is great, but remembering really bad things that are really, that it deems important as in, I need to make sure to keep you safe sucks a lot. And this, this amygdala here, it's stores a very specific kind of memory. Not all, not, not this mundane day-to-day stuff, but a special deeper filing system called episodic autobiographical memory. So think about it this way, that there is a, we have a stack of really important files. It's just got this big stamp that says important on it. And they are all stacked there. They've got a bunch of paper stuffed in there. But the problem with those is that you can only take the whole folder at a whack. You you can't, you don't get to like rifle through it and pick out certain pieces of paper. What is wired together fires together in this way. So when the amygdala goes to access these, it is a special deeper filing system for things that really fucked us up. Okay. 
So this is where things are stored for your stories about how the world works, how the shit that happens to us. And it creates an attempt to keep you safe by avoiding the things that feel painful. Okay. It's well-intended. It's well-intended. And this is why we need to leverage our thinky brain, our executive functioning to help calm when the, when the feely brain has gone a little overboard. Okay. She gets a little liberal sometimes with her attempts to keep us safe. So we've, we've talked about the thinky brain. We talked about the, the feely brain, right? Within there, right in between, is this little, little being called the anterior cingulate cortex. Let's just call it the moderator. We got the thinky brain, the feely brain, and the moderator. The moderator takes in the stimulus and manages what we know, what we feel, then makes suggestions on what to do with the whole mess of things. In the within the anterior cingulate cortex, though, there are these ridiculous spindle neurons. Think of these as long, leggy supermodels. They we call them the sprinter neurons, is what I what I've attributed them. So these are good for say if you have your hand on a stove, you want to get the impulse to lift your hand from that stove. You don't want to call a conference meeting about it. Just lift your hand from the damn stove, otherwise you're going to burn. But it's less helpful. <laughs> When, say, a song comes on in the grocery store and it reminds you of your dad's funeral and uh, all of a sudden you're having a panic attack and booking it out of the grocery store without any of the food that you made it maybe needed to go to that grocery store for for dinner. This is a true story. That happened. They're super fucking fast. But the problem is, is they just go grab a giant file and come back with everything in tow. They're not discerning at all. And that's, that's where the anterior cingulate cortex moderates between what goes to the executive functioning piece, that thinky brain, what goes to the feely brain, the feely brain that hosts all of the trauma and that, that episodic autobiographical memory. Okay. So think about it this way. When we have something that triggers that EAM, that like deeper level that has those like sprinter neurons to go grab the file and bring it back. Think of it as like a mnemonic device. It comes as a package deal. Okay. So now moving on, let's talk about why it is so pervasive in our society. What's interesting is we've kind of normalized this negative self-talk because having a problem is the first step to buying a product to solve that problem. We also have an obscenely high rate of childhood trauma. And so that trauma is where is that's that deeper level of that filing system, remember? And so we have massive amount of people that are having to navigate being continually triggered into those that episodic memory. We also have so many feelings of unworthiness and our mental illness rate is up to 20% of our country. And there is truly a very, very narrow celebrated form of expression. It leads to this inauthenticity of things that we should, 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 should do. And every time that we should ourselves, we are discounting where we already are. And we're discounting the ways that we are already showing up. So enough about that piece. I have a whole podcast <laughs> that goes into why 
our society is so screwed up lately. I've just tune in, just tune into these episodes, babe. I will have plenty about why society is breeding these negative self-talk moments. As far as the antidote is concerned this week, we'll go back to the same four types of negative self-talk. We'll go one by one and we'll talk about exercises and tools to help unlearn. I'll also have these in the show notes. So if you want to look at the reflections and everything in full text, it is there for you. When we start filtering, usually this is conditioned over a long period of time and is not super conscious. So it's going to take a little bit of elbow grease, my friend. We're going to have to dig in a little bit and we're probably going to have to start a little, little gratitude journal. You know what I'm saying? Like a little, you know, three things I'm grateful for. Hmm. The other two prompts that I offer to you are something I'm excited about and something that went well yesterday. We can also leverage affirmations to re-guide where we are going instead of focusing on where we are moving away from. And if you could use a little bit of support and help with this, I am opening up my books for one-on-one clients and I am working on a couple self-guided courses here coming up in the next couple months. So reach out to me so we can have a little discovery call and at the very least, get you going with a couple more specific tools for you in your circumstance, okay? If this has been resonating for you, come hang out. I promise it'll be amazing. And yeah, I'm really looking forward to talking with you, you beautiful soul. Moving on to the second one, personalizing. This is where we we take everybody's stuff on our own. So I want you to take on this new mindset for me, okay? And it is that everyone is living in their own movie and they are their own main character. And it's actually, most of the time, not about you. It's not about me. Unless somebody tells you it's about you, in which case, have a conversation. But don't assume that people are doing things or like canceling plans because they don't want to spend time with you. That's a form of personalization. And remember, we've hit unsubscribe on that. Moving on to number three, catastrophizing. This is one where grounding exercises can really come into play. Grounding exercises, discernment, and leaning into really, is this 100% unequivocally true? That's what I like to ask myself when I find myself catastrophizing. Is this one, if there was a scientist standing in the room and they were measuring what could be seen or felt, that's when we lean into that grounding, okay? We can also practice a lack of judgment. It's all just data, zeros and ones. Like it's all just happening. If we don't attribute a big story to it, it doesn't have that much power. And lastly polarizing. This is the one where you see things as either good or bad. And there's a really fun opportunity here, actually. You have an opportunity with this one to enrich your language with yourself. If you find yourself struggling to put names to emotions because you've just attributed things to either good or bad, I don't know what it is, but I just feel bad. Are you frustrated? Are you feeling sad? Maybe disappointed? Maybe unseen? Get more specific with yourself. Ask when you're saying you're feeling bad, 
A, check in with what's feel, what that feeling feels like in your body and with what it might else be coming with it in your brain. What else is coming in that giant file that was sprinted out from the other office across the street? What, what else is coming in that file that's joining the party? Where are we reading between the lines and hearing something that somebody is not even saying? So we've talked about enriching the language that you have with yourself, as well as what you are using for other people and how that you are perceiving them. Lastly, I would just really like to suggest, because this is accessible to absolutely everyone, to start a mindfulness practice for yourself. Ideally, a meditation practice. Science has found a connection to increased clarity and focus, as well as stress reduction, among other things, connected to having a meditation practice. Your meditation practice is really playing with that moderator space and expanding the expanding the impulses that you're able to send to the thinky brain instead of the feely brain. Because as we think more things through in the thinky brain, we can trigger that episodic memory less. As we understand it more and it has less power over us, we can trigger that less. And that, my friends, is deep, deep healing. And it doesn't have to be meditation. Maybe you start a mindful movement practice. I don't care what it is, but start checking in with yourself, my friend, and do it on a regular basis because that is how you unlearn. It's going to take a little bit of elbow grease, okay? I know we like things to be easy all the time, but it, it's not. It's going to take a little bit of work, okay? But it is totally worth it, and you are totally worth doing the work for Thank you so much for joining me on this episode of the Unlearning Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, the biggest compliment that you can give is to rate and review on whatever platform you're using. You can find information for one-on-one coaching, full show notes, and tools at my website links below. Until next time, keep unlearning. learning.